This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the besotted Pride of West London Christmas Social. Bees up! And we're here in the Fuller's Brewery. And everyone seems to be very happy. I wonder why that is. Obviously, I'm Billy Grant. Uh, I'm from Besotted. We've got Dave Lane here as well from Besotted. And I want to give a big thanks, as we say, to the players for coming down here tonight, making the night as it is. Big thanks to Fullers. And also big thanks to you, the fans, for coming down. Because without you guys, we ain't going to get the night that is it. So thank you very much for your support and everything like that. Every year, we decide to have a little Christmas bees up, as we call it. Well, every year. Last year, we had the first one. There's the second one. And... Uh, Nice little vibes, and what we normally do with our bees up, as you know, our besotted socials, myself and Dave Lane here, we had a little idea, we said, tell you something, we go to football every week, and sometimes it's frustrating, sometimes it's not frustrating, but um, that's what we do on the match days, but tell you something, why don't we have some events where there's no football at all, let's kick football out of football, so we'll get all Brentford fans down, and we can just drink, have a laugh, talk about football, without any football actually spoiling the day. So that's the, that's the concept of the socials. We run about a few of them now. We've had about four or five of them. Been absolute last. Last year we had what Carl Hutchins. We had Rich Cadet, who had a, a, ter- had a very <laughs> so Richard Cadet last year. Um, we've had Terry Evans. We've had Marcus has done the very first one as well. Iger Anderson. We had Gary Roberts and um, and and and, and um, Alan Co- Alan Cockrum. No, jo- jo- Francis Joseph. Jo- Francis Joseph. Uh, two absolute characters. I mean, not be funny. I'm, I'm surprised they're not doing stand-up comedy. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's just ridiculous. I what think, I think they're in pantomime somewhere at the moment <laughs> that's, that's, right. the that's why we couldn't get hold of them like you know they're sort of playing the cockerel or something but um yeah so that's all good but you know so we're back again this year this christmas at the fuller's brewery absolutely teething tremendous beautiful beautiful venue in the hock cellar here they've taken really good f- care of us the fuller's people yeah we they've they've helped to set the bench really high you know so if, we, if you're gonna have socials even if you're gonna run events you want brilliant venues and i don't think you know any of the venues that we've had any of the socials in have been anything other than stunning so again you know just thanks to thanks to fuller's for allowing us to be here tonight Well, let's, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Kevin O'Connor is a player and a person that has been entwined with our club for many, many years. Um, Kev joined us as a, as, a, as, a, as a child, really. He was a teenager, and now he's looking after our B team. He's, he's developed, and he's, and he's kind of learned, and he's, and he's become... Um, some per, a, a player that is kind of just connected with our football club. Um, there's no one here that hasn't hasn't heard of him. We he's been he's been wearing a Brentford shirt for as long as I can remember. 
Um, and, and a little bit longer. And a little bit longer. I don't, I don't remember before him. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't. I've, I've, just, I've just wiped it out. <laughs> no, but he looks, he looks pretty good. He looks young still. So uh, he's been here forever. Um, Kev, before I dig myself into a big hole, tell us about your early playing career, growing up and the youth teams you were involved with and how did you get spotted by Brentford? Uh, so early on, obviously, played football from a young, young age. Played for my school, played for my borough, loved playing football. Joined Southampton at under-13s for two years. They had a, a centre in Slough, so I just went there and, and got involved there and played at weekends down in Southampton and wherever we went. And then I asked Brentford for a trial. My uncle at the time was working, was a plumber, was working with another plumber who was also a Brentford scout and managed to get a trial and, and went down to Osterley and the rest is history. So, you know, you were born in Blackburn. When, where did you have your elocution lessons? Where did you learn to speak proper? <laughs> very good, very good. Yeah, I was uh, actually born up there and I moved down after about two or three months. It was, it was my own choice. I wanted to have a London accent. And, uh, yeah, that was that. Good answer. Um, signing as a professional, it's, it's got to be special for, for any person. Um, do, you, do you think that the, you know, it's just as special for the, the, the kids that are signing for our B team today? It's um, a very good question. I don't think it is. I think it's a little bit different now. I think some players get the contracts too early. And on paper, they're professionals, but everything else, they're not. They don't go through what we went through, what Marcus, what Bob went through. It's very different now, and I try and drill that into them because even though they've got a professional contract, they're a million miles away, some of them. So it's, it's very different. Can you, not, like, in, can you not, like, introduce this regime of bullying and, um, and, and, and boot cleaning? I've tried at times, but you have to be careful, yeah. Obviously, this, the world's changed, so you can't do what we used to do. But I try to get to as close as that as, as we can legally, and just, just, just try and prepare them for a long career if they can, if they can get one. Because I think that, that grounding that we've had, it, it makes such a difference. And, you know, the, the difference is as well that a, a, lot of the, a lot of the youth players that, you know, you're introducing into the B team now, they've come through premiership teams, academies... Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not saying you didn't play at a very high level from a from a young age, but you know, it, it's all it's the, the chances of a youth player coming through any other route apart from an academy route is very different these days. You know, are these are they are they prima donnas? Uh, I think we've been lucky. That there's not too many. There's always one or two. You have to keep your eye on. You have to be tougher on them. But the majority of the boys are really, really hardworking. And the example we've got recently is Chris Meppham, as you guys have seen. He's got there mainly on his attitude. He's, obviously, he has ability, but his attitude is amazing. He's a, he's, a, he's a throwback. That's why we all love him, all the staff love him, and, and that's why he's got as far as he has, and hopefully he'll go on to bigger and better things with the club. But it's so important that. Bringing it back to you specifically, um, you know, what, do you, what do you remember of um, your introduction into that first team squad and, and the build up into your, your debut? You know, how were you made to feel you, it was ready, you were ready for it? 
I was shit scared, to be honest. When I, when I went out, I was in the youth team as away from the first team, so it was, we weren't intertwined, really. So when I went training with the first team, I was extremely scared, a bit intimidated of the players, and worked my way in. And then the, the debut, the, the first start, Wiccan at home, I just turned up at half one on a day and had no idea I was starting. And I think Ron knows just read the team out, and that was it. That literally was it. I just went out on the pitch and tried to do the best I could. So, you know, you, were you in awe of, you know, Ray Lewington and Ron Nodes and that, that regime? It was a, it was a, a kind of a high-profile um, resurgence for Brentford. You know, you, were you, obviously, you were quite proud that they pinned their hopes on you as well. Yeah, definitely. I didn't have too much dealings with Ron Nodes, to be honest. He didn't really take training. He just picked a team, as you guys probably know. Ray Lewington was brilliant fantastic coach and as a person as well and Terry Bullivant who I went to work with again later on in the year with Scotty he was he was a lovely guy Brian Sparrow was a, was a bit different I didn't really didn't really get him he was a little bit strange towards me so I didn't really get him too much but the other two were fantastic there was there was a lot of you know as I said Brentford were in the bottom division and we were kind of trying to fight our way back can you kind of Compare briefly, you know, compare and contrast, like what it was like then to how it is now. <laughs> it's just, it's a million miles away. It's like, a, as you guys can see, it's a different club everywhere at the training ground, at the stadium, the atmosphere, the players, the style of play, the quality. It's just a completely different level. And it's, it's amazing to be behind the scenes and be able to have a look at it, learn, learn about it and, and be a small part of it. So it's, yeah, it's a completely different club. Well, what, what was the question then we get Marcus in? So, you know, you were called Shearer uh, at this time, you had a nickname. So when, when did it become clear to you that, you know, you weren't destined to be the striker that you probably thought you were going to be? And, 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 and no, but, but probably it was a stroke of genius. <laughs> It was probably a stroke of genius. I'm not saying you couldn't score, but I'm saying, like, would you, would you have got 500 games as a, a, you know, at Brentford if you'd just been a striker? You know, it was your versatility that kind of helped you, really. So that was a big decision. Yeah, so, yeah, someone did say that once, and it stuck for some strange reason. But in the youth team, I was a striker. Um, enjoyed playing there, managed to score quite a few goals. And then the step up to the first team was too much, which I realised probably after playing five to ten games. And so I had to try and reinvent myself and, yeah, ended up going to the right wing and, and just had to reinvent, reinvent myself quite a few times. But, yeah, just that, that realisation I wasn't going to make it as a striker was disappointing, but I just I wanted to be a footballer. So I just had to try and make the best of what I did have. Marcus? Yeah, Kev, um, I, first kept, well, I first met you in, what was it, March... 2005, I left Watford to come back to Brentford. Um, and one of the things that struck me about you was that you were just calm. Um, I think you was captain as well at the time as well. Um, but your quality stood out. You weren't a screamer, you weren't a shouter, but you was most definitely a leader of the team. Um, what sort of, what contributed to you being that sort of leader? What made you turn out to be that way? Do you know what? I have no idea. It was, we had Hartlepool on a Tuesday night. I'm not sure if you were there, Marcus. And yeah, Martin just gave me the armband. I was like, okay, 
and just had to had to go from there. And like you say, we had a lot more experience in that changing room. I think the fact I've been there for quite a while and bits like that went went in favour for me. But I was, I was just I just tried to be myself. I tried to learn off you guys and just try and stay in the team because it was it was a very good team. And and how we didn't get promoted that year, I never know. Is it? I mean. In for someone that's come through the youth system and, and, and kind of like got your got your debut, and how 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 difficult is it to get that kind of those leadership qualities? When did it kind of dawn on you that you were able to kind of ball out your teammates or shout or or, or be the inspiration or the leader for them? Did that come naturally to you? I think it's just the experience. The experience of everything you go through is, like you say, going into that change room when you're shit scared. Literally shit scared of some players. You don't want to catch their eye because they'll just take the mick out of you. It's that and then gradually growing and building and, and earning a place in the team and then just, just going from there and just the experiences of the games and listening to other people and seeing how other captains do it and then sort of taking a bit of, from each one and then obviously how you naturally are because if, if you're not yourself, then people will call you out and you get, you get found out. So it's just you have to be yourself, but it's, it's just taking a piece from everyone you've seen and the experiences that you've learned from. Um. Can you compare the, the difference between, like, say, Ray Lewington and Steve Koppel? How, 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 were they, how do they differ? Um, <sighs> Ray Lewington was probably a bit louder. It'd, be, it'd show a bit more emotion. Steve Koppel was extremely calm. He'd twiddle his fingers constantly. He wouldn't do an awful lot of coaching. He'd be there all the time watching. But Wally would take a lot of the, the coaching at the time, and then Steve would just go into the details on Friday. He was the first one to introduce watching opposition clips. We'd sit down at the stadium in one of the rooms with the VHS and, and go through it for, for 20, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. So, yeah, he, he, he was very, very calm. That where Ray was very much hands-on and he would get a little bit more lively as well. We're going to have to... Unfortunately, we're going to have to talk about the Millennium Stadium, which we're all kind of, you know, oh, well, let's get, let's get it out of the way. Let's get, let's get this bit out of the way. So you missed you missed the um, the two thousand and one whatever it was called Sherpa Van yeah whatever Leyland Death final, but you you played against uh, Stoke City in in the playoff final. Um, that, well yeah we again, once again you know obviously we all Brentford fans we know playoff playoffs don't suit us very well. I'm not even gonna that's maybe a quiz question later on. Well, we were, yeah, Stoke City, Division 3. So, anyway, Stoke City, how, how distressing was that? You know, I, once again, we deserved to get promoted that season. We didn't. Talk us through that whole playoff and the, the build-up to that. Yeah, so obviously we had the last day shootout against Reading, which, how everyone knows that went, which was disappointing. Then we went into the playoffs. That little shit, Yeah. So we, we went to Huddersfield, I think we got a nil-nil draw, and then we, we come back to the stadium. I got off the bus, I went to look for my car on Braemar Road, and my car had been stolen. <laughs> and what, just, what car was it? <laughs> it was a little Fiesta, and it was my first car, it was my pride and joy. XR2? No, 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 <laughs> popular plus, 1.1, and just coincidentally, it was actually found over the road here, opposite this brewer's, so... It was Jonathan! But, but yeah, so obviously, play Stoke in the final. We we didn't turn up at all, did we? We were two 0 down. We 
we were rubbish, absolutely rubbish on a day. I managed to get on for 15 minutes, which was nice, but yeah, it was just, you, you just knew then it was an end of an era because players were going on free transfers. Bosman ruling had just come in, I think. So players were going, and it, again, another coincidence, our goalie coach now for the B team was on the bench that day for Stoke, and he reminds me of that, that moment. He's, he pulled up a picture the other day of him lifting the trophy at the Millennium. So if, if, you ever, if you ever come across Yanni Vianda, then give him some stick for me, please. But he's, he, he now works for the B team, so it's, yeah, it was... That was tough, but we knew it was the end of an era. We lost, we lost a proper team there, didn't we? Uh, it sounds like a sackable offence, if I'm honest with you. So um, I'd, I'd call him in on Monday and give him disciplinary at the very least. Uh, um, so, but no, no but the serious point is, like, you know, when, when you miss out in the playoffs, there is, you know, sometimes it ends up in the team being dismantled. Bob touched upon it earlier saying, you know, well, we missed out against Crew. It, it, it kind of like you then questioned your club's ambition to kick on for the next season. And um, Kev's kind of said the same, you know, there was a lot of great players in that, in that team that didn't go up. You know, people like, you know, Eva Ingemars and Reading did all right out of that, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah they did. And Future as well, they did as well. So fair play to them. They, they picked some of our, our best players. You know, you know J-Tab is someone that we're going to try and get down here for, for, the, for a future, future you know, social. What, what, what kind of influence did he have in that team? Because he was like, he was brought in as, you know, 12-year-old really, wasn't he? He was, yeah. Jeff Taylor, if anyone knows Jeff Taylor, brought him in from, from Crystal Palace when Jeff came in as a youth team manager and, and he 100% knew Jay was going to be a player and he come in and you could see straight away he was going to be a good player and just the quality he had was, you could, you could see a mile off, couldn't it? Yeah. Energy, it was a little tank, no body fat, strong as you like and will to win and he was fantastic and you know it was almost like you know you became like wedded to the club at this stage like for better for worse you know, when, you know, Wally Downs then came in um, you know it's not you know, I'm not dissing Wally you know it, it, again like the, the, we, we evolve we move on as a club and it just shows you how many different playing styles we've had over the years you know, how, how did you then like how would you compare Wally to, 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 to Steve and Ray it's very hard. Like I say, Wally was a very good coach, but the players Wally had compared to Stephen Ray was completely different. So Wally tried to get the best out of the group he had. We were a young group. I think we started the season well, which probably didn't help us really because expectations went up a little bit. We were in the top three or four for the first couple of months, and then then we fell away, and in the end, just secured the league. You know, the, the league one, which it was at the time. So yeah, it was tough for him. He, he was a very good coach, but. You could see the, the budget was being slashed a little bit and, and we were trying to juggle things like that. So it was a tough time. It's, it's quite difficult, this one, because, you know, you play 501 games and you, you, you need to cover so much. So I can't, I can't I'm probably not going to get into sort of nitty gritty of so much, you know, exact incidents. But it was also, also quite clear that you're a decent penalty taker. And I, we, 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 will, we will revisit this a little bit later on briefly. But... You you scored a, you did score a hat trick of penalties against Bournemouth, um, two two during the game and then another one in the penalty shootout. Um, why why weren't you kind of like the penalty taker for, for for far longer? How come there were others that you kind of? I think I think some of the strikers just felt that they wanted to take them, and so. You know, they wanted to get the goals, which is the easiest way to score a goal. So, 
some strikers would come in and say, look, they want to take it, and we'd, we'd have a, you know, whatever would happen, and end up taking it, and then it'd eventually come back to me again. So it was, it was just one of them things. And then we move on in the, in, in the air. It, we talked about Webby. Martin Allen is another big character. Um, you know, we might have some very good news soon about Martin and Besotted Social. Um, to, to, no, 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 he's not, no, 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 he's not going to come back as manager. There's a, there's a chance that he may turn up as a social, but he's not going to be, he won't be in the Andy Scott dugouts anytime soon. So, Martin Allen, what, what was the player's reaction when he was kind of unveiled? You know, you, you know Wally's, gone, Wally's been sacked, you've got Martin Allen coming in. Um, what, what did you think of him? So one of my best mates, Mark Williams, was at Barnet at the time. So Martin come from Barnet, and my mate rung me straight away and said he's absolutely crazy. He said he's absolutely crazy. So obviously you just go in and yeah, Martin's mind he was just completely different. He, um, the one thing he was very good at, he got the players on the side. So one thing he done for me was in the, not when he first took over, the beginning of the next season. So my mum was very ill. I didn't really tell the club, and he he pulled me in one day to the office. And Gailey might have had this as well. You sit in the office with him. So he's called you in and you sit there. And he starts looking around the room as if you've called the meeting with him. So you, you just sit there and you're like, okay, so what happens here? And, then, and in the end, he basically had a go at me for not telling him about my mum. I was like, okay, I, was, I kind of apologised because I felt like I had to apologise to him. And, and that was that. So then I think two or three days later, my mum rings me and said she just had a bouquet of flowers and a, a beanie hat sent from Brentford. And obviously... <laughs> But because she was losing her hair at the time, it was, it was perfect. It was apt. And, and those little things that he would do just made you want to run for a wall for him. Or, or swim across a river. <laughs> yes, in a way. But that, that's a different story. So he, he, he would do things like that for you, out of the ordinary, over and above, and then you therefore would go on the pitch and do anything for him. Oh, about the time he arrived, you just signed a new contract. So you must have felt secure... But was that an intimidating time for you? Did you know whether, you, you know, did you kind of question your, you know, your place and your, your future? You know, every time a new manager comes in, you must think, mm, would he fancy me? Yeah, 100%. 100%. No, 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 no. Get a grip, you lot. Manners. When I say fancy, I don't mean that. Children. I think because the season before, I didn't play very well at all. So, yes, I was going into that pre-season not knowing what was going on. And, and Martin made it clear at the start that I wasn't in his starting eleven. So I thought, right, OK. So I had to prove myself yet again. And luckily, I got the opportunity at right back. Come out of nowhere. I think Michael Dobson got injured one day and I played a home game and I played OK. Then he said to me, it's easy to do it at home. You need to do it away. I think we went to Walsall. We won 1-0. I think John Solarco scored the penalty. And again, I played OK. And then... I managed to keep my place as right back. So yeah, you were vying for that right back berth with Michael Dobson. You know, you know, Dobbo, his family were Brentford through and through as well. His dad, dad, had played for the club. Were you, were you friends? Were you competitors? How, how did you get on with Dobbo? No, we, we got on really well. We got on really well, and then obviously when I did take his place in the team, it was a little bit awkward at times, as as you can imagine. And then he eventually left and, and went else, elsewhere. But no, because we come through the youth team together as well. He's a year older than me in the youth team. So when I was first year, he was obviously a second year, and we got on really well and got to know each other. It was just, it was tough, and that was football. 
Yeah, I mean, as fans, we, that's probably the thing we don't really understand is kind of how, how tough it is, is dog-eat-dog. You know, you're after your position and you've just got to take it, you know, no matter how friendly you are with people. Um, you, you're appointed captain for the first time in October 2004 and the same season you were awarded, what's it called? It's called the Most Improved Player of the Year. Is, is, is that some sort of backhanded compliment? I have no idea. It was so, like, to, to, to be like the, the most improved player. There's a kind of a, a, like a. It's like an. In, you know, were you rubbish before? <laughs> yes, the season before I was. So yeah, it was a. T- Listen, it was an award. So I took it. It was on the pitch. <laughs> I didn't really. I, I couldn't really say too much. I just said thank you, and that was it. It wasn't something I was particularly proud of, but in a way, maybe I, looking back now, I could have been. I don't know. Have you, have you still got it on the mantelpiece? No. No, 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 no. Okay, so we move, we move on. So the next season again, playoff failure. Unfortunately, you know, and this is this isn't. No, 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 no. But it's we got five hundred. Mark Ristic, go stand at the back. <laughs> Memories of the playoff against Sheffield Wednesday. Brentford came out of that actually very well. Um, we got plaudits. We we approached the game right. We um, we played Sheffield Wednesday very well. We we did all right against a very very good, very big club. What, what do you remember about those two games? I remember the atmosphere at Hillsborough just before kickoff was amazing. Made my hair stand up on the back of my neck for the first time properly. It was a, an amazing experience, and yeah, the, it was ultimately disappointing again because we had a good team. And we just we just fell short. So it, yeah, it was a brilliant experience, and I think that helped us the next season. So it was uh, yeah, it was another tough one. Going down with Brentford is not good, Charlie. No, it was the worst experience as anyone who's, hap- who's happened to. It's, it's horrible. It's not just for yourselves, for the players. It's for the club. It's for the, the staff, the fans, everyone. You just you know being around the club, you know what it means, and yeah, it, it hit us hard. It hit me especially hard, and it took a while to get over that. It was. You kind of knew early on. Again, we started well for some reason. We didn't have a brilliant pre-season. We weren't fit enough. We would do well for 45 minutes and then we'd be hanging on for the second half of games and it just caught up with us and you just you knew early on, unfortunately, that it wasn't going to be a good season. When, when you say you weren't fit enough, does, is that because that Leroy was too nice or was that, that missing kind of nasty manager edge lacking you know it, it, it's difficult because you know we're in a situation now where I assume Dean Smith is not a nasty person he's someone that kind of gets you to play well because you know he does the right things on the on the training pitch where, where does this sergeant major um, element work best uh, well, well put it this way Dean Smith has got a side to him you don't want to see because I've seen it I've been, I've been in and around it not directed at me thank god but I have seen it um, but that season, we didn't have all the sports science. It was basic, really basic. And, yeah, I, I felt we hadn't done enough in pre-season. And maybe he was a little bit too nice. Apparently, at Torquay, he'd done too much a few seasons before, and then they faded, so he wanted to go the opposite way, and it, and it didn't work for us. But to your question about Sergeant Major, we have all the sports science now, so if people, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, then someone else will come in and do it. So you don't necessarily need someone to be shouting and screaming all the time but I do think that's still needed in the game. Interesting, because there's a lot of fans that kind of ask for the old school to, to come back in a, lot, in a, in a bit more. Um, and as, as Bob said earlier, you know, just like that kind of 
hit it long, go go more direct. You know, we're very much not. I don't like the word tippy tappy, but we we play brilliant football, and that's that's you know I, I love watching that. So anyway, so how did so Andy Scott then arrives? He then started to rebuild and restructure the club. Um, I'm not talking about just the dugouts. <laughs> Andy Scott kind of, he, he brought, he, he had a loan mentality. We probably had like three million players coming on loan. Was it, as a, as, as a player that was established, was it, was it quite like difficult, was it, that turnover of players, was that, is that quite difficult to kind of cope with? Do you know what, I didn't really notice it too much, to be completely honest. At the time, obviously Terry Butcher come in, it didn't work out. Then Scotty come in and, and we picked up and done really well to the end of that season. And then next season was fantastic. It was the, We won League Two. So obviously we brought Jordan Rhodes in, who scored a few goals amongst others, didn't we, with the loan system. So it worked for us that year. And yeah, that, that, was, that was a fantastic year. And Scotty done an awful lot for the club. Obviously he got sacked in the end after the Dagenham game, which was fucking horrendous. But he done an awful lot of good for the cup. He got us back going again, back into League One. Uh, I won't mention the Dagenham game because that might put you in an awkward position. So you were sent off once in your career, 501 games. Um, how, how can that happen? You know, you, you, you were a kind of a tough tackling player. So you, were you just brilliant tackling or, you know? Uh, no, I'd like to, I'd like to tackle. Um, I think... It, with, with the sending off, it was Ben Strevens, who next season was a teammate. So I saw him on the floor winking to the physio, which didn't help at the time because I knew he wasn't injured. So as soon as he came in next season, we had words about that, but that settled down. And yeah, it was just one of the things. Once I got booked, I, I was lucky enough not to make a, a stupid ta a tackle, really. You, you were the last player to be given, you know, well, last player to achieve 500 appearances and, and a testimonial. Are you, do you think you'll be the last ever Brentford player that will be given a testimonial? I hope not, but the way it is now, like you say, with players coming in and out all the time, possibly. I really hope I'm not the last person, because we lost 5-0 to Fulham. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I hope someone does. Sam Saunders come close. But I think the way the game is now, the, the turnover of players and, and the money, I can't see too many staying at Brentford for 10 years. But I, I hope I prove wrong. You know, you, you, I'm not trying to make out you're really old, but you know, you you, you saw you saw a lot of change in the game. You you were probably at that cutting edge. You're at the coal face of how the game changed. When you started at Brentford and when you ended at Brentford, compare. You know, did you have a you didn't have an agent when you when you when you signed? Do you have an agent at the end? How did how did it change? Uh, no, I never have an agent. Never at the start, the beginning or the end. I never did. I just went in myself and spoke to the managers and managers sort the contract out that way. So I never had an agent. But yeah, the game has changed completely. When we started, it was goal kicks would go long. You'd, you'd set up, you squeeze over to the side of the pitch. Whereas now the, the centre-half's near enough back on the byline trying to get hold of the ball and, and play out from the back. So it's, it is a completely different game nowadays. And you were, you know, we go back to the coalface, you, you were at that cusp. So when Matthew Benham started to really take over the club and he started to put money in and Uwe Rosler arrived, which was probably his first actually appointed, you know, he was involved in decision-making, but Uwe was probably his first cherry-picked manager. Um, was it an overnight transformation? How, how quickly did things become very different? 
Um, so we were waiting to have a manager appointed, and then Uve wasn't it? Obviously, everyone knew who Uve was, and then the quality of player just slowly increased, and you could see that Matthew was having an input financially, and things were being put in place, and we'd have pre-match before a game at the, the local hotel, which we never used to have. And so little by little, you could see it building. And it's just carried on since that day. Even though we've had the odd setback here and there, which we don't want to go into. No, we won't. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but you, yeah, we will. But you can see, even then, it was the foundations were being built. And just to get to where we are now, and again, it's still being built, built to try and, and go higher. So it's, it's amazing to see it, to be a part of it, to be in the background and see it. And I, and I think as fans, you know, this is this is where, you know, hand on heart, this is this is how we get excited about supporting Brentford these days. Um, we we see it, you know, we we've we've been there, we've been to some awful Northern League Two games, but we've you know we've been there, win or lose, we're we're there. But seeing it now and four seasons in this in this division, it's it's amazing to watch. And the, you know it, there is a year-on-year year improvement, and we thought it might have been this year. It probably might not be. It might be next year. But there is, is certainly a, a transformation of our club. Was, was as a as a player that was playing a you know you've done your two hundredth game, your three hundredth game, your four hundredth game, and you're seeing this like real steady improvement. Did it did it make you concerned? Did it question your ability, or did it give you a real desire to just improve? It just made me proud. Made me proud to see the way the club was. I didn't. I didn't care about myself really. Of course, I wanted to play, but to see the club doing so well and and gradually building and getting into the championship, I was just. I was like you guys. I was so happy as a fan first and foremost, and as a player second. So I was just really, really happy. Because I mean, a lot of that transformation happened at a time where you were struggling with with injuries. So you know, was, was there ever a time you thought uh, maybe that I'm not going to make the next landmark, or maybe the 500th game is like irrelevant to you? But but was there a time where you kind of questioned whether you were going to come back and be competing? Uh, when you get injuries, you always question it. And the two injuries I had, I had no player around me. I didn't get touched by anyone else. So it was just. It was Sod's law, really. And, of course, yeah, you do question it, but I just tried to get back and, and be a part of that team and manage to have some sort of input in it. Yeah. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about Doncaster, unfortunately. Yeah, no, we are. No, no. Grow up. Grow up. No, the, the question is, the question is, Doncaster, right? We'll show what happened. No, we will. No, we will. We will. But the question is... Is that the best thing that ever happened? Because we may have gone up and we weren't ready. Look, you look at Doncaster, you look at Yeovil. Where are they now? Right? True? True. So if we'd have, if we'd have gone up, would it have been a, like a complete and utter poison chalice? And we just want to show you one video. And Clive, if you could do like a bit of the commentary to say exactly what's going on. Okay, right, so I was playing centre-half. Penalty was given in the 94th minute, I believe. I believed I was going to take the penalty, and uh, I think Mar Marcello Trotter got hold of the ball. That's me wandering up there having a chat with Trotz. What are you saying? Exactly what's going on. Okay, just quickly, right, one thing. So the previous game, we went out, we played Hartlepool. Okay, we played Hartlepool. 
as we're walking out, Uwe Rosler says to me and Trotz, one of you two can take the penalties today. That was that. So that's why Trotz thought he could take the penalty. I was asking him to give me the ball. He obviously had the ball. He was adamant he wasn't going to give it to me. I wasn't going to wrestle him for the ball because I didn't think that would have done me or him any good. And we both just wanted the same thing. We both just wanted to score. So that was that. That was my decision at that moment. Obviously, that's what happened. It was, it, was, it was so surreal, as it all probably was for all of us. No. Watch the players now. And I'm just saying, what happened there? It's like they've been napalm. Yeah, we, we, just, we just knew that was it, though, didn't we? That was it. That was our chance. That was the chance, and it was gone. No, but I'll bring you back. I'll bring, I do bring you back to my point. Is you know that as, as awful as that was, as that it was life-ending as it was, and Yeovil that followed that. But if we'd have gone up that season, would we have been ready? Would we have been prepared? Would it was it in hindsight better that we waited one more year? Obviously, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> but we'll never know. But I think it gives us an extra year to be more prepared and have a better squad to go up and then do what we did the next season. So, in hindsight, I would probably say yes, but we will never know. Well, you know, I, you know being, being, a, being a realist as well, I, I, I think it was probably the worst day of my life. But also... No, no, well, well second worst day of my life. Um, but it, I, I honestly do believe we were a better club by waiting one more year. And, you know, as, as awful as that was at the time. Um, we need to talk about your 500th game. It's, it's, you're, you're one of only a very few people that have ever ever made that achievement. With without the injuries, it would have been probably you may have been the the, you know, the most the most um, appearance Brentford player of all time. How how amazing was that to to lift the trophy to get your 500th game? To all of that sort of came at the, within a, within a couple of weeks. Yeah, it was just. Coming on for the 500th appearance was the best, the best feeling ever. The the reception I got from the fans, from the players, was just something you can't describe. And yeah, just the way it fell as well on the last day of the season, we'd got promoted. It was yeah, you couldn't write it really. So it was, it was yeah, the best day in a Brentford shirt by a mile. And I have to say, you know, what what we've we've said this before, a, a previous social. Um, to what what some the whole evening up for me was going back to uh, the Nelson that night and where where Brentford fans and Brentford players it really kind of epitomised just what an amazing club this is where we could celebrate it all together and um, you know what a great night that was can we have a, a bit of a, an applause for that night really. So let's let's end this on a high. Let's end this on a high. Kev is now B team manager. Is, that, is it a head co- head coach of the B team? What's the what's the exact term? Yeah, head coach. Head coach of the B team. He's he's re- the governor. He's responsible for mentoring this next phase of great Brentford players through. How how proud are you now where you've got one of your one of your rookies knocking on the door of the first team? Yeah, it's, it's, it's what you try and do every day. It's the reason you're going to work now is not to go and score goals or, or win games, but it's to get players promoted to the first team. And 
and players have got to stay there. It's not getting them in there for one or two appearances and they fall off the face of the earth. It's getting them there and make sure they have long careers. So to have Chris Meppham doing that now, and I'm not surprised that he's done it, but for Dean to give him the chance, because if a manager doesn't give him a chance, then he can't do it. So Dean has to take a lot of credit for that, especially with the other, other boys making their debuts as well. So... It's uh, yeah, it's it's a good system. Obviously, we we change things. We chuck, we close the academy and, and bits and pieces, and and so far it's working well. So hopefully we can, can keep that going. But the standard is so good now; it's not going to be easy. We're not going to have two, three, four players every year getting getting through to the first team. Marcus, uh, Kev, um, I'm glad that you're the B team manager. I think that the younger players they need an ex pro like him that's gone through that phase. Um, knows what it takes. <clears throat> I know the world's a totally different place now, um, but could you see yourself all those years back being a coach? That's the first part of the question. And the second one is, who's your biggest influence as a coach now? Uh, in the younger days, no, but as you get older into your 20s and your late 20s and 30s, most definitely, just looking at the way it is and obviously wanting to stay in the game, especially wanting to stay at Brentford in a way. When I was offered the player-coach role, it was a no-brainer. So in that respect, yeah. Uh, secondly, I take a bit from everyone, Marcus. You try and take the good bits from all the managers and, and you learn from the bad bits of all the managers. And I take a lot from Martin, his man management, I take uh, Uwe as well, Mark Warburton, the way he spoke, the way he drove the players on, got them playing for each other. There's so many, Steve Koppel, Ray Luton, there's so many guys that you can, I could spend the evening talking about. So it's, you just take all the good bits from each of them and you try and get rid of the bad bits from the bad managers. And it's, it's a question that I can, I can note on the tip of everyone's lips at the moment. What is your favourite cheese? <laughs> Stilton. Aye. Let's hear it for the Stilton. Just want to say as well, questions from the crowd. We're trying to get questions in early. If you want to get a question, please put your hand up and then we have a look around. We'll get the microphone over to you and we'll keep the conversation going. Um, Kev, I've got a quick question as well because obviously you went through um, ups and downs of Brentford, um, but you had a couple of promotions, you had a couple of playoffs. Which one was your favourite moment with Brentford? Favourite moment would be, it's tough, there's a few, but the 500 appearance would be the favourite because we've won promotion. That would be my favourite moment. Just for, for what it means for the club, obviously myself as 500, but because the club are going into the championship, that's, that was massive. That was massive for me, massive for everyone else, so that would be it. And, and again, I should have maybe done it the other way around, actually. But you know, I was going to ask you, what was your darkest moment? What was the, was the one that hurt? Because you've, the thing is, you've been... No, but you've been through... The thing is... No, no, no but you've... You've been through decades. You've been through, like, you know, you've been through 20 years of Brentford. So you've seen almost as much as what we've seen as well. So it's interesting. We've got our moments as well. But it'd be interesting to know what your moment is as a player, uh, the darkest moment. Because, we, you know, we, we, we lost every playoff. We're just a nightmare, you know what I'm saying? But you, it might not be that for you. No, it wasn't. It was it was a crew away when we got relegated. That was easily, with about three games to go, three or four games to go, that was easily the worst worst moment. The playoffs were really, really tough, but they didn't affect other people in a negative way, really. Obviously, the players, the fans, yeah, you're disappointed, but you're still in that league, whereas being relegated was massive. There's a very interesting article in The Guardian today about Man City and about how they're buying up clubs or taking over clubs all over the world 
And we know that the way that big clubs like Chelsea, Man City, collar all the best players, loan them out and everything. But what's very interesting about Man City is they're franchising so much around the world. And in a sense, I can see what Matthew Benham is trying to do with teams like Mitulin and that, to try and get Brentford a little bit to try and pick up on that talent around the world. So we, we're not just little Brentford stuck in London. He's looking really... For, is that the sort of feeling you're getting, that, OK, we're not Man City, but we're taking that kind of viewpoint, that kind of um, uh, perspective for the future, that we're trying to get those good players coming through, build those international connections, try and build the club up to, bigger what it, to be bigger than what it is now? Is that, is, do, you, do you think that's, um, that's what the vision that Matthew has? I think Matthew, he knows we're never going to outspend the big team, so he, he looks for different ways. So we, we do the set-piece expert, we, we do lots of other different things. So in a way, yeah, Michelin is only just part of that. So he, they have lots of different ways where they, they try and get an edge. Obviously, he has the way that he grades games, the way he looks at it, which is different to everyone else. He has his own league. And he, he tells us where he thinks we, we will finish and where other teams will finish. So he's very, he's very clever, as we all know. But he just has a lot of different ways. And that is just part of it. With Yeah, Michelin potentially is one of them where they can, you can get a player to Michelin first, get him there for a couple of years. And then if he's good enough, potentially come to us with, with the passport and, and whatever needs. So that's, that's one area that he does it. But he does it in a lot of areas as well. That's only just part of it. About 10 days later, we played Swindon Town uh, in the playoffs away. And Brentford were 1-0 down. And I think we got a penalty in the last five minutes of the game. Um, can you tell me what happened next, please? So, obviously, Trotz was on the bench. So, <laughs> that situation. No, basically, as soon as it was given, I was obviously taking it. Um, I was walking up there. I was angry. I wasn't nervous. I was just angry because it, it should have been the week before. And that's the most confident I've ever felt taking a penalty. And then it was just, and that was that. And obviously it, it helped us a little bit in the, to get to the final. So I kind of knew as well that Tony Craig was obviously going to come back and play the next game. So that was effectively my last kick of the season. So it was, yeah, it was, it was strange how it happened again. It was in injury time, like you say, just over a week later. So, yeah, I was just angry walking up to take that penalty. Uh, best player you've played with at the club? Simple as that. I'm not, I'm not. I just think it's a bit awkward. Um, now, there's a few. You can see some players gone on to bigger and better things. Um, Michael Turner for me. Michael Turner was was top quality defender, and it was it was a pleasure to play alongside him. So I'd have to say him. So listen, look, Kev O'Connor is absolute Brentford hero. Listen, and I'm not. It's funny because I was looking through the Wikipedia today, looking through as you do soccer base, and normally, like every time you look through the players, you have to scroll through the 25 clubs that they've played for. And it's really funny. You look at Kevin, all of a sudden, it's like, boom, Brentford, one club, you know, 500 and what appearances. And that has got to be applauded because it just doesn't happen anymore. I'm saying. featuring Big Bob Taylor. Go to besotted.com, go to the top, click on podcasts and check out Big Bob Taylor's podcast. And also our end of season bees up. In Ealing, 
Friday the 4th of May, the bank holiday weekend. You can't miss it. It's going to be a big, big name there. Lots of big names there. Go on to Besotted. Check out Social, the tab at the top, and click on there, and you can get tickets for that. Super early bird tickets went very, very quickly, so get in there quick. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.